Well, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Leviticus in chapter 6, and I'm just going to read from um, this, this Old Testament passage, verse 8, where it says, The Lord said to Moses, the Lord says to you this morning, give Aaron and his sons his command. They are, these are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. Verse 12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. We are never to let the fire of God go out in our lives. Who's responsible for the fire of God in your life? It's you, it's me. We're responsible for our fire. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. So uh, that word fervor in the Greek actually means boiling for liquids or glowing for a solid uh, for a solids, so this, you get this picture of spiritual fervor being something that's piping hot. It's glowing. You know, you think of Jesus' words: "A city on a hill will not be hidden." Something about the Christian faith and the Holy Spirit needs to glow. It's a glowing that resides in you and in me. However, as you, if you've been a Christian for a little while, I'm sure you'll agree that as the nature of fire is to go out, so the nature of our spiritual walk can also start to dwindle, and even the babies agree with that. It is true. So, you know, the nature tends to dwindle and tends to go out. So Jesus, in talking about the end time with his disciples, he said, they said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of the end times? Matthew 24, 12 to 13 says, because lawlessness will abound. Who agrees lawlessness will abound? The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, um, Derek Prince actually on this scripture uh, as a testimony to all nations will come. He, he believes that, you know, the, the one prerequisite for Christ's return is the gospel being preached to every nation of the world. And in that, that is, a, that is in, in a sense, that is the one last remaining commission to happen before Christ's returns. Uh, you know, and as darkness increases, two groups of Christians will emerge. So this is some thoughts from Brian Bailey, but also Pastor Tark as well. Those that have more fire and are just more fire for God and have a hunger for God, and those where the love of God starts to dwindle and die out. I wonder for us this morning, which path are we walking on? You know, is, is it a path of more fire for God, a hunger for God, a passion to do His will, or is it a path that is not going down, those, uh, down that way. You know, so I think a sign for Christians that the end is coming is that the fire is going out, is that there is a dwindling of faith uh, in the earth. And I think especially in the Western culture, we can see that to some degree. We can see a dwindling of faith of God, uh, a fire for Him, a fire for mission, a fire to do His will. Uh, but my summation, this is, this is just my interpretation, take it or leave it, in Christianity is that the middle ground, the lukewarmness that we read about in the Bible, you know, it talks about being spewed out. I believe that that spewing out is happening. I believe that that is, that is part of that prophecy is being fulfilled. Maybe not all right now, but an aspect of it is being happening right now. So in our lives, there's this, there's this choice, this decision to say, will I keep the fire stirred? Will I be hungry for God? The trouble is, you know, and you and I both know the wind is blowing, the cold wind 
of society, of secularism, of all the things that vie for your attention on your phone, in social media, uh, through everything that is happening in our world, uh, they start to blow wind on our heart and on our spirit. If we're not careful, they can easily start to dwindle that fire and grab our attention for things. Um, and we can, we can even subtly not be aware of it. You know, I wonder if today, a year ago today, whether you're more hungry or more on fire for God. People often get impacted by God at something like a, a camp or at church or New Zealand and beyond or get fired up, but then the cold wind blows and they lose a hunger for God. Why does that happen? I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's certainly happened to me where you've had a certain level of a hunger for God, but then this cold wind blows and for some reason you just sense, I'm not as hungry for God, I'm not on as, as fire for God. And uh, as we were praying Thursday night at our prayer meeting, I had this thought drop into my spirit as we were praying about the fire for God, was that if someone came to me and said, show me your calendar for the week of all the hours of all the things you do, and then show me your bank account <laughs> and all the things you spend your money on, I wonder whether they would decide whether I was an on-fire Christian for God or whether they would come to some other conclusion about my Life Pretty convicting, but I just had that drop into my spirit as we were praying, and I thought, man, God, we can easily say one thing, but really our lives tell a different story. And I'm convinced, and I believe for us as a church, God wants us to live an authentic life of fresh fire. It doesn't mean that we need to be showy. It doesn't mean that you need to be all charismatic. It doesn't mean that, you know, God's given you your personality and the way that you think and the way that you reason and the way that you enjoy certain things more than others. But there has to be this fresh fire that is in our lives. So to have a strong personal walk with God, to maintain fire, we need to build on an encounter with God. We need to encounter His Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, this, I believe, has never been truer than the rise of, of the Pentecostal church in the world. And, uh, you know, Jesus gave his Holy Spirit to who? Uh, to one person? No. To one group? To one continent? No. He gave it to all people. All people can receive the Holy Spirit. Every person that's breathing today has access to God the Father. Every person has access to the Holy Spirit. We can all be living with the indwelt fire within us. That fires for everybody. You know, the other day, Katie and I were talking about this whole thing of why some people may talk about being Pentecostal and why others may not be talking about it. And she made the comment to me. She said, it's not like at, in the book of Acts at the upper room at Pentecost that God said, right, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Now, Pentecost, you come over here. <clears throat> Baptists, you come over here. And Catholics, you can come over, over here if you want. And all these other, and just put, no, he just poured out his spirit. He poured out his spirit on all people, all flesh, and they started prophesying. And they started speaking in tongues. All these different people from all over the world. God poured it out. There was no reservation about their state of education, their upbringing, their culture. He poured it out on all believers. Revelation 3, verse 15, 16 uh, and 19, I think it will come up on the screen. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were hot nor cold. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Therefore, be zealous. Be zealous and repent. Man, strong words from Revelation. And I believe for many people, it really is a time to draw a line in the sand and say, for me and my house, I'll choose the Lord. For me and my house, I will serve God. The reality is, if you try and live a Christian life that is lukewarm, it's the most miserable experience. Like, if you're not going to live a Christian life that's on fire for God, 
you really are, in a sense, missing out. Because you might as well have God and have it all and have it his way. Or not do it at all. And so, I mean, you know, think of Jesus' words. He says, it's better that you didn't know. But if you are to know, if you do know me, live for me the way I have conscripted to live for me. 2 Timothy 3, 1. So there's a lot of scripture this morning, so I hope you're okay with a bit of Bible. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You know, um, Pastor Tark often, often talks about Satan working overtime to seduce us with the, with the worldly pleasures. And uh, when he says that, I often wonder, wonder whether Satan gets paid double dollar. Or whether he gets time and loot. No, I don't think about those things. But I think, you know, we want to be entertained. We're wired that. That is actually everything that's screaming for your attention. You know, our eyes, our ears, everything is out to entertain us, to increase that pleasure, to increase that sense of uh, more and more and more into our lives, through our eyes, our ears, to make us feel good. And honestly, I believe it's because people believe this is the only life they've got. So if this is the only life I've got, this is where I have to enjoy it all. And if I want to enjoy it all, I've got to do it all right here, right now. But as a believer, <laughs> there is an eternity. There is this other side of this human life. There is, there is this, this, this ongoing paradise with God where there is fullness of joy, where there is no tears, where there is no depression, where there's no sickness, where there's hope eternal. Do you believe that? I believe that. And I just think, man, God, that is what I'm living for. This life can have disappointments. This life may have some pretty big letdowns, but guess what? This life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. And when you know that, when you sink into that, and that sinks into your spirit, the fire of God, the passion to do His will, just becomes stirred to do more and more and more for Him. Luke 9.23, He said to all of them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. You know, we live in a world that is pretty good at not denying themselves. And the things they do deny themselves are often for things that are just temporary. Christ calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. 1 John 5, 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith, our faith in God. So when the fire inside of us is greater than outside, we can go through the storms, we can go through the difficulties of life, you know, we can, we can resist being bitter to, uh, to, to someone in our life that we might want to be bitter. We can resist that anger or that resentment, which we've heard in recent weeks through different messages. We can resist having that unforgiveness because there's a fire inside us that's greater than the fire that's trying to come at us from the outside. So I want to just look at five points this morning uh, as we go through this. How do, how do we increase this fresh fire? What do we do to cultivate fresh fire in your life. Who is keen to have more of the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit in your life? I know that there's probably about half the room that'll do. So number one, personal devotion to God. Personal devotional life. You know, I think when it comes to reformation, when it comes to church, often we talk about the way we will practice things differently as a group, as a church. Let's change the songs. Let's get rid of the drums. Let's add more lights. Let's do it differently. But I think when it comes down to it, it's actually a reformation in here. 
It's a reformation to say, God, I'm going to seek you first. My life is going to place the things you value above the things that maybe I want to value. So the true test of your walk with God, the level of fire, uh, is quality time with God. You know, you think about prayer, and we talk about prayer a lot in this church, um, but you know, prayer is such a foundation to getting close to the fire of God, to having more of that in your life. At church, you can come and worship and be surrounded by other fire bringers. You know, you can be a mix of other fires, and there can be a part of you that feels fired up. But what about when we're on our own, when we're with God, when we're going through the difficulties of life? How does that fire go for us? We need that fire of God in our lives. 2 Chronicles 7.1 says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. Fire came down from heaven when he'd finished praying. You know, you think about Jesus. When he was with disciples, he would go off to lonely places and he would what? Pray. You know, what did he teach his disciples? To pray. There was this emphasis on prayer, having a life of prayer that was with God in the secret place. And I don't know where your prayer life is at this morning. It really doesn't matter too much as to what degree you feel your, your prayer life is. What really matters, what my heart is this morning, is that is there space for God to increase that prayer? Is there a place that you can say, look, there may be things I right now, I'm sure there is, that could make way for a bit more prayer in my life. You know, I, um, we pray every week uh, from 6 or 7 on a Thursday night and at 6.30 on a uh, Tuesday morning here in this church. And we pray before the service at 9.30 as well. And those are great ways to be surrounded by people that are praying. If, if you lack that prayer muscle and want to pray more, certainly for me, that was a way to grow my prayer life was to be around other people uh, that pray. So Peter, when it comes to praying, this might encourage us. Mark 14.37, Jesus found him sleeping. <laughs> Simon, why are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, prayer is a key to resist that onslaught of temptation and the worldly desires. Prayer gives us that desires of God, and it brings in God's, uh, God's plans and agendas for our heart when we get close to God uh, in prayer. But also the other thing that I believe increases that fire is this book right here. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is, a, is such a foundation in our life. It's the foundation. Scripture brings life into all situations. You know, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been going through a part of life, wondering what's going on, wondering where God's going to show up, opening the Scriptures and God speaking directly into that situation. Has anyone else ever experienced that moment where you just read the Scriptures and it speaks directly into your life? You know, the Word of God is living uh, and active. It's powerful. Uh, you know, um, there's a, a historical figure that I was looking at the other day, Philip Jacob Spina. What a name. Anyway, he was, uh, he was uh, part of a movement in the 1600s. The Word of, this is what he said, the Word of God remains the seed from which all that is good in us must grow. All that is good in us must grow. Think about that for a second. Is there good in you that is growing that is not rooted in the Word? Because I, I wonder whether that good will last. You know, the, Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing without me. So that seed that grows in us, it comes from His Word. Spirit, he goes on to say, spiritual life will be wonderfully strengthened, and you will become altogether different people. 
If you want to keep growing and be different in a year in your walk with God, get into this word, get into this book, and make it part of your spiritual disciplines. All right, I'll keep going. Number two is a love for the church, a love for God's bride. Psalm 69.9, zeal for your house has eaten me up. What a scripture. You know, the church is the hope of the world. God has given the church as his vehicle, his mandate, his, 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 uh, his witness in the world. You and I, believers, you know, we, uh, we are to have a love for God's house, to be in his church, to serve. Uh, and as we serve, you know, that fire, that increases in our lives. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. You know, while the church is not the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is this, and the church is a part of that. I understand that. It is the bride of Christ. And if you use that are married in this room, which I know there are, how do you treat... How do you treat your bride? <clears throat> uh, we, you know, how do, we, how do we, what do we do with our time? What do we do with our finances? How do we speak? How do we treat the bride? I often wonder about this. God gave us this description because he knew <laughs> it would stand the test of time. He knew that this would relate to males and females. He knew that this would speak to our hearts when we think about God's church. But for me, I have found in my life as I've pursued God, uh, you know, it's done in the context with others. I've, it's done in the context of this setting. Just three examples. When I was a young person uh, in a youth group, we went on church camps, we went on Easter camps, those sorts of things. I can tell you right now, if I had not gone on those camps as a young person with other young people and, and had a great time, a crazy time, but met with God, I don't think I would ever be walking with God the way I am today. Another example is, you know, when we, uh, as a young dad, I remember finding, you know, being a young dad thinking, I don't know what I'm doing, and, and asking a few different people in my life to be mentors to me, uh, not just as a dad, but as spiritual champions as well. If I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would have succeeded in many areas uh, today if I hadn't invited them in. It's God's church. That's the people he puts us around. And thirdly, you know, I think as well, is just developing friendships of strength with other believers. This Christian walk was not to be done on our own. Pastor Tark often says, if we don't serve God, consumer, we'll begin to have a consumer attitude and we'll lack the fire of God. When we come all just to consume but never to serve, there's just, it's just not the way it was meant to be. Christ never saves anyone so that they can just add church attendance to their list of weekly things to do. Nor does he save anyone so that they can live happier lives that are just self-centered as they went, as they went before. Every believer is saved to serve God. Now, that is a good one because I found that on Google. <coughs> it's true. I thought, what a great quote. I'm just ripping that off the internet, but that is awesome. All right, we've got a lot of Bibles, so we're balancing things out. All right, three, a heart for the Great Commission. Why don't you turn to someone and say, a heart for the Great Commission. You've got to have a heart for the Great Commission. Or as we've been hearing recently, sometimes it is the omission, but we've got to have a heart for this great commission. Acts 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's commission given to the church. So uh, in, seven, in the 1700s, William Carey, he's an amazing missionary. They call him the father of modern day missions. Uh, who's been on a missions trip, by the way, who's been on a, you know, maybe overseas, out of your country? Yeah, numbers of hands going up, um, have been on missions trip. Well, he's, he's considered the father of modern-day missions. Uh, but he, in that time, he, he puts an article together in the church that he's a part of. 
he's frustrated by the lack of missions that he reads about in Scripture. He believes that we're called to go based on the Great Commission, and he's not seeing it within the church and its leadership. Uh, and so he puts, uh, he was a very educated uh, young guy, and so he puts this article together for the church to read, and it's put, says, is the Great Commission still binding on us? Question mark. That was his paper that he put towards the church leaders. So we're excited about the Great Commission. We have him to thank. He was excited about it. Uh, he did a survey to back up his argument, and he, and he reckoned that 70% of the world's population at that time, this is about 1760, uh, was not saved, didn't hear about the good news of Jesus. 70%, that's a, that's a massive portion. So he considered that the job was not done. The job was not done. And I believe still that the job is not done. People still need to hear the good news of Jesus. And we often hear Pastor Tuck talk about it. They don't know, we're going to get the job done. Well, I believe this is something of what he's stirred about uh, in William Carey's talk. So uh, people in Carey's time, they basically told him to, to shut it, to, to turn it off. We don't want to hear about it. In fact, they said to him the words, um, sit down, young man. When God wants to save the world, he'll do it without you. That was his words to this young, passionate uh, missionary at the time. And so... He has this statement that he comes out with, which is quite well known today, and he says, expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. William Carey leaves where he is, he goes to Calcutta, goes to India, and he begins to be a missionary, and uh, honestly, if I had time to unpack the story, I will probably another time, but it's not a good start. Honestly, when you look at his story, it is just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. There's, there's, uh, there's sickness. Uh, one, of their ch- one of their children, I think, dies. His wife becomes, um, you know, just, just completely um, depressed and loses, uh, just almost loses her faith. They, uh, they see very little fruit take place. There was uh, others that came with them, and they basically decided to take all the resources and go and do something else. And so they abandoned him. In his situation, it's just a it's a torrid start to the mission. Seven years into ministry in India, he starts to see he sees his first person come to faith in Christ. Seven years, seven years. How would you feel after seven years of God saying, "All right, I'm sending you to Oruba. I'm sending you to uh, <clears throat> Invercargill. I'm sending you right now to the wherever in the world." Seven years in, and one person comes to faith. Talk about tenacity and resilience. You know, we often have a mindset, don't we? It's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) Just like I got my fast food at McDonald's, God is going to deliver it up on a fast food platter and everything is going to go according to my timetable. And God says, it doesn't work like that. The Great Commission was a mission for this, for you and for me. And we enter into it, but we enter into God's story, into God's commission. It's not me and my God comes and says, no, I'm doing the mission in the world, and I want you part of it. And so we work according to his. What I want to say is if you're praying for someone right now to come to faith, don't give up. If you have been witnessing in your life to someone maybe for 20 or 30 years and they're not yet confessed Jesus is Lord, keep going. Keep at it because, you know, your witness, that, that seed of the Word of God, the things that you're witnessing your whole life, they make a difference, all right? But it's not on our time. To, in fact, it's not up to you to save them. You know, that is good. that's the Holy Spirit's work. But God calls us to be faithful to the Great 
commission. The job is not done. And just like Kerry, he persevered. So let me just finish a little bit of that story. 20 years into the mission, 500 people are born-again believers. In 2020, it's estimated that 3 million people can trace their lineage back to that time of William Kerry uh, becoming a missionary and starting the work in that area. 3 million people is not a bad effort. When it started with no one for first one, two, three, four, five, six years, and then the one person coming to faith. So all of that to say, don't give up. Wherever God has put you, be faithful. Recognize that it's by His Spirit. You know, it's not by our ability. It's by His Spirit because where He has placed you is where He wants you. You know, He went on to do amazing work. He he did he Bible translated. He put the uh, Bible into the local dialect. He wrote a lot. He pioneered in many ways. But one of his key principles was to place an infinite value on the souls of people. And so I just think, man, that is something we need to get a little bit of a a refreshing in, God. Give me that fresh fire to see an infinite value on people's souls, to see them as you see them. Number four. So number one is a personal devotional life. Number two is a love for God's church, for his bride. Number three is a heart for the Great Commission. And number four is living a pure life. Life, You know, we are constantly bombarded with impurity at every turn uh, in our lives. Media constantly confronts us with unbiblical standards, behavior. Uh, and it's in schools. It's, it, it is everywhere. But Psalm 24, 3 to 4, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. A uh, statement I read the other day says, Only the word and you dry up. Only the spirit and you blow up. But the Word and the Spirit, you grow up into maturity. Whether you agree with that statement, I don't know, but I thought it was, I thought it was good. So maturity is what God wants for you. <clears throat> you know, the reality is, is that you know, God knows our hearts. He knows what we're wrestling with. And you've got to remember, in God's eyes, you know, he, he sees, we often categorize sin. Well, that person has committed fraud or adultery, what a sinner. And yet over here we're gossiping. You know, we often categorize, God came to settle the score with sin, and he dealt with sin. He's the judge of all sin, not us. But he also came to show us that that's not the life he has for us. That's not the promises he has for us. He's come to show us a better way. You know, I've found there's many times there's seemingly blockages in life, things that seem to stint your growth as a believer. And uh, years ago, I had a prophetic word, and someone said, you know, at times, you're going to find it hard to hear from God. And when that happens, you must decrease and God must increase. And I believe that that's a word for all of us, really, is that when this time of struggling in God is saying, I must decrease, God must increase. So what's the decrease? You know, what is the decrease? Does it mean that, you know, every night of the week you're out doing something fun, great, like meaningful, enjoyable, but none of those are dedicated to things that have eternal consequence? Something that maybe uh, friends in the church, maybe a life group, maybe something that's happening at church. Are there things that can decrease so God can increase in your life? Are there things that we can decrease in so God can increase in? Listen to this one from uh, the message translation in Psalm 119. How can a young person live a clean life by carefully reading the map of your word? I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you've posted. I've blanked, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart, so I won't sin myself bankrupt. 
Be blessed, God. Train me in your ways of wise living. I'll transfer to my lips all the counsel that comes from your mouth. You know, often for me as a believer, I've found that when there's times of not necessarily hearing the voice of God or, uh, or, or wrestling with a particular attitude or sin, for me, my go-to is just worship, is to worship God, is to declare his word, is to sing his word, is to confess his name, is to say, how great is our God? Our God reigns. You are good. God, your blood covers me. Nothing is impossible for God. I just start declaring the word of God because the word of God is truth. It's accurate. It's higher than my thoughts and my ways. It has more life than I can even imagine. It is true. It's living. It's active. And it cuts through all the lies and all the deceit. And it just repositions me in God's grace and God's mercy. So, hey, we can live a life. You know, I don't know. Maybe you feel this morning that living a life of purity is beyond you. Can I just say, you know, God came for freedom to set you free. He came to give you liberty. He came not so that you can bear the weight of sin on your shoulders. He's taken it for you, but so that you can live in him. And you've got a map of the word. You've got a way to do this. You know, we learn from others and we come into maturity in him. Awesome. The last one as we wrap up this morning is right relationships. So why don't you turn to the other person next to you and say right relationships. We want to have right relationships this morning. When it comes to fresh fire, often I've found that a hindrance to fresh fire is the way we interact with other people, you know, is the way that we deal with others in our lives, the way that we uh, deal with other people in the church, the way we deal with people in our family or friendships or in different areas, our right relationships have a big part of dimming the fire of God. And conversely, when we have good relationships, the fire of God begins to kindle and warm. So, you know, there's a lot of scriptures on this, but wrong friends will dim the wrong, uh, will dim the fire and it'll be a cold wind. Friends you associate with will have the greatest influences in your life. First Corinthians 15, 33, bad people can make those who want to live good life, live a good life, become bad. That's a New Living Translation. I kind of like this one a bit more. Be not deceived. Evil associations corrupt good manners. Now, if you're wondering what good manners means, it's not table manners at the table, although those are good to have. But uh, William Wilberforce, who's heard of him before? William Wilberforce. Yes, his political ambition for the abolition of slavery is probably the most well-known thing that he is known for. But when he uh, contested for the abolition of slavery, he actually presented two bills. One was for the abolition of slavery, and secondly was for the reformation of manners. The reformation of manners. Again, not about the manners at the dinner table. So at that time, just to give you a picture of why he wanted that, manners was to do with kind of an all-encompassing morals, a behavioral way of life, the way we practice, the things that with how we treated each other. That's what he meant by manners, sort of a moral expression. But get a picture of this. At that time, 25% of the female population were prostitutes in the city that he lived. And most of them averaged the age of 16. Alcoholism was rampant. People were, uh, were, were drowned, literally, in alcohol because of its uh, accessibility and because of more likely drowning the, uh, the, the terrible things that were happening and what they saw. Moral life was poor, but general life in all was very, very hard to live. So he comes in with this reformation of manners. And yes, of course, we hear about, I think it was three days before he died that the abolition of slavery actually took place. 
and that happened. But this other aspect of the Reformation of Manners also was a big driving force behind what happened in his city, behind actually changing the way people uh, treated each other. You know, having right relationship is so important. It's easy to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But Christ calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. He calls us to be in the but not of the world, to live a different way. Someone I remember also used to say to me, do people in your workplace know you are a Christian? Not because you've told them, but because of the way you live, because of the, the essence, the, 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 the sense of something in you that's different. You know, there should be a tangible difference to the way we live our lives. Those relationships uh, can be really, really important. But, you know, we've heard this in recent weeks in the sermons about unforgiveness, about letting things go, about putting things right, uh, about, uh, about coming to God and, 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 you know, dealing with that anger or that resentment that we may hold towards someone else. That can be a real restrictor when it comes to the fire of God, when it comes to His fire in our lives. So we need to deal with those relationships uh, and we need to put them right. And I would also suggest, you know, having relationships of strength, having people that build you up in your faith. You know, when we started praying um, several months ago at 6.30 on a Tuesday morning, my heart was genuinely like, God, I want to see a move of God. Like, I'm just hungry to see you. Thankfully, Tussie also decided to show up and, uh, and others have started coming along. And as I've found is that I'm encouraged just by the fact they're here. And as you pray for each other, you just start to hear God in their lives through their prayers. I've realized that, you know, we need that fire of others as much as we kindle the fire of ourselves. There needs to be this place where the fire of God is burning amongst us. So, you know, we have life groups in this church. There's places where that, uh, we're being with others that are walking this journey on fire for God. I really encourage you not to put it as a one day on the list, but actually, you know, what do I need to do? What's an action step I need to take to be around other people that are carrying the fire, that are hungry for God. Maybe it's your prayer buddy. You know, over the last several months doing prayer buddies, I'm, I'm hearing amazing things about answers to prayer. But take it a step further. Meet up with them uh, for, for lunch or dinner or coffee and share your life. Kindle that fire together and uh, let that fire burn bright. Fire falls on altar of dedication and sacrifice. You know, when we give our lives to God, we receive more of Him. We, we experience more of Him. To keep the fire burning, we need to increase, uh, you know, building that altar in our lives. And you know, the Bible talks about, doesn't it, putting down, laying down your life as a sacrifice for God. Laying down your life as a sacrifice to God. And we hear those words. <laughs> I hear those words. And sometimes we think, <clears throat> okay, God, you know, there's the sacrifice of Jesus. And then there's those other people that don't really follow you. And I'll go down that middle path. You know, I like the idea of a middle road. But Christ lays it down. He says, you know, you, you, there is no middle road. There's following me with all your heart. Don't fall to the left or the right, but follow me. And as I look on the um, history of different men and women who dedicated their lives, I can say without a doubt the fire of God was not an accident in their life. The fire of God was intentional. The fire of God was kindled. The fire of God pushed them out beyond their borders, beyond their countries, beyond their language, beyond their comforts to see people come to know Christ in different, different environments and different places uh, and, and to just do incredible things for God. And many of them, I've mentioned already, suffered terrible um, conditions. You know, some of these men and women that went, um, I mentioned Wilberforce before. 
you know, for the last 15 years of his life, he was so physically um, just restricted that his whole, he, he hunched over, his whole neck was like this. In fact, he had to have a metal brace to hold up his chin just to speak. That was the last 15 years of his life because of just, just probably the environment and the things that he was going through. That's what he went through to do the will of God, to, to be faithful to what God called. It wasn't comfortable. Could you imagine that? Like those sorts of things that went through. John Calvin, if you're ever interested to research him, I mean, he, he, he suffered from indigestion, headaches, gout, kidney stones, tuberculosis, arthritis, hemorrhoids. Uh, and in a day when medical care was probably not a good idea anyway, um, you know, he went through a lot of things to suffer to do what he called to do. I mean, you could take any recent story of a Christian missionary. I'm sure they overcame incredible obstacles um, to do what they had done. Just want to finish on one last quick story. I've managed to slip quite a few in this morning. I'm sure you've noticed. Um, but, you know, there was uh, John Wesley. We were talking about him on Thursday night at our prayer, prayer meeting. And John Wesley, you know, he actually started off quite not very well in a sense. He, he, he felt like he had failed in his witness of Christ when he left to go to America and preach. Didn't really go that well. Um, in fact, he got engaged to someone while he was there, and it, and it all kind of fizzled out, a lot of problems. And he came back literally with his tail between his legs to, to, uh, to England, and he felt, you know, he'd let God down, he'd failed uh, in what God had called him to. Anyway, after, after a long season of just pressing into God and figuring out what to do, he writes these words when he was reading about Martin Luther's um, description of Romans. You know, the just shall live by faith alone not by good works or any of those things. This is what he wrote. About a quarter to nine, while he, that's Luther, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine and save me from the law of sin and death. I just love those words. My heart was strangely warmed. When we're talking about fresh fire, we're talking about the Holy Spirit coming and doing a fresh warmth in your life, doing a fresh warmth, doing something where our conscience and our mind and our heart sink together and go, Christ, you have, a, you have done away with the law of sin and death, and you have saved me, and it's by faith alone. So my prayer this morning is, uh, is the sort of fresh fire that our hearts would be strangely warmed. Whatever condition your heart's in this morning, you know, a key to this is just surrendering to God, just coming to God and saying, God, I surrender afresh to you. I lay down my life before you. William Booth said, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a woman's power is the measure of his surrender. When we come to God and surrender, we allow that process of him just warming our hearts. So uh, we're just going to stand this morning and um, just get the worship team, if you guys want to come and join me. And just as they come up, try not to be too distracted in these last few moments, because I really believe God is just going to begin to slowly warm in the hearts of people here today and begin to stir a fresh, fresh fire. And I don't know, maybe some of those stories have just touched something in your life about what God has done through men and women that were just sold out to God, that had a fresh fire.